From Chicago, welcome to Three Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. This is a podcast devoted to the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders in the 3D printing industry. Also quite straightforward. With, with this additive manufacturing, you have like this extremely complex part. And the surface was horrible. It, it, it was so rough. We're talking about like at the beginning of the 2010s in that, in that area. The technology have improved a lot, but that the kind of stuff that we were seeing at the beginning was crazy. And it... That was Dr. Augustine Diaz. Augustine is part of the R&D department at REM Surface Engineering, serving as the Advanced Manufacturing and Innovation Manager, overseeing research chemists and added manufacturing scientists. Over the last eight years, he has worked on the optimization of post-process surface finishing of metal added manufactured components using REM's chemically accelerated finishing technologies. Augustine is a leading expert in the surface classification and post-processing of metal AM components and his expertise in new technology development for the surface finishing of metal components. He is the author of more than 20 technical papers and patents, and in addition, he is the co-founder and marketing editor of the Latinx Can podcast, a bi-weekly podcast series that talks to Latinx professionals where they share their experience about how they turn their professional dream into a reality in the U.S. Before we get started, head over to www.3degreescompany.com and subscribe to the podcast. Remember, you can listen to the show anywhere you download your podcast, including Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or Stitcher. Also, if you or your company are looking for materials, qualification, or general ad manufacturing support, reach out to the team through our website or via email at info at 3degreescompany.com. All right, Augustine, thank you so much for joining the show today. Um, this has been uh, on the calendar for a while. Um, we've been meaning to make this happen, so I'm excited to, to chat with you today. Um, like we do with kind of everyone that does the, the podcast, I like to start really early on kind of what got them uh what was the spark kind of what got them started down their career in in manufacturing and engineering and and additive so um maybe just start with uh, tell us a little bit about kind of your early life where you were born kind of what were you doing as a, as a little kid kind of what got you do you remember any of those early days in terms of kind of getting you on the path towards what you're doing today? oh this is going to be a this is going to be a fun one uh probably I'm a outlier here oh first of all thank you for the invitation i've been looking forward to do this uh in a long time i know we have to reschedule a couple of times uh but we're so busy right it is what it is so let's start with uh, i was born in puerto rico i come from puerto rico it's a small island in the caribbean part of the united states it's one of the colonies that still sticks in the world right uh I'm actually a chemist. I I went to the university thinking I was going to do a medic, an MD. Uh, it was really naive of myself. I didn't realize that in order to be a medic, you need to deal with blood, and I cannot handle blood. So <laughs> as silly as it sounds, it was exactly like that. And inside of the uh, in the university, I realized that no, I need to change career, and then I, that's how I started. Uh, the chemistry path. I did my PhD also in Puerto Rico. I specialize in organic materials, nanomaterials. From there, I went to Texas A&M University when I started doing surface phenomena, uh, nanoparticles, uh, trying to achieve certain properties of materials to 
for certain type of application like drug delivery or enhance or recovery and that kind of stuff. And when I was doing my postdoc at Texas A&M, a recruiter called me from this company called Rain Surface Engineering. They were working on surface finishing of material and they use a chemical process capable of improving surfaces to of, of metal components for different types of application like improvement on fatigue performance and corrosion resistant, uh, decreased vibration and that kind of stuff. And yeah, the offer was really good. I accepted. It was also really nearby from my current home. It was in College Station. We are here in Brenham, Texas. So it's like really easy. And that's how it started in the, in the surface finishing world. As soon as I came here, I started seeing all these projects coming in, in, in our doors. With, uh, they were called uh, the most difficult part that you can see to, to do a surface finish. As, but this is, this is really interesting because they're extremely complex part. And don't get me wrong, we have been doing surface finishing now here for what, almost 60 years on all type of man, traditional manufacturing type of component, erasing machine lines or, or improving surfaces of cast or, or meme and that kind of stuff. It's really straightforward process. The components are also quite straightforward. With, with this additive manufacturing, you have like this extremely complex part. And the surface was horrible. It, it, it was so rough. We're talking about like at the beginning of the 2010s in that in that area. The technology have improved a lot, but that the kind of stuff that we were seeing at the beginning was crazy. And everybody was kind of like, "Yeah, it's interesting, but it's too difficult. We don't want to like spend a lot of time in there because going to the traditional process that that we have is going to take too much time, and I, I don't know it's going to be worth it." And that's when I decided that I was going to to take that specific task in my career. I wanted to figure out how to work with those components and make it work. Because I saw the potential. There's a, there's a lot of potential in this type of component. The, this free form, this craziness, it looks like it's going to go to places. And that's how everything started. Uh, I so. started looking into into improving the surfaces and understanding what it was what was actually ha happening, what was going on, why they look like that. And that's pretty much it. I mean, awesome. they're 10 years now. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to those early days, was did you always know you kind of wanted to do some of the science, chemistry, kind of medical-like sort of thing? Or was there like a... Oh, this is this is really this is really that you're you're getting now into social sciences. Let's let's dive into it. That's, that's right. That's that's, that's, that's kind the of onion. the topics that I like to. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. So I come from uh, really humble means. I didn't have. I am the first one in my family to to graduate from university and, and even get a PhD or anything like that. I was coming from the public system, uh, school public systems in Puerto Rico are really. A little bit lacking on in the orientation part, so you don't have a lot of people that tells you possible career path. So if you are smart, school smart, and you are doing good in your classes, or you're really good at math and sciences. By default, they're going to tell you you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be an MD, right? If if you are really good with history and and social sciences, then you're going to be a lawyer. If you're really good in math, you're going to be an accountant, and that's it. So we have those three professions, and that's it. There's nothing else, right? And nobody else to tell you possible career parts. So I didn't even know 
about what's the, the difference between science and engineering, so what is the role of engineering with the sciences, and, and what it was to be a chemist, or, or what it was to be nothing else. There was those three professions. So yeah, it was lack of orientation. I was really good in science. It's, for me, always science has been kind of uh, super entertaining, and I take it as a game, not as a challenge. So it's, it's a challenge at the same time, but it's kind of a game, right? So like video games are challenging, but you keep trying, trying to make it work. Just like that, I, I really enjoy it. So I decide to, to stay in that path. And, and I think it was chemistry because it, it was kind of the most interesting at the time when I was doing my bachelor's, that all the courses that I was taking. Biology, I have way too much stuff to memorize, and physics was way too difficult. <laughs> so, so hey, chemistry is easy. Let's do it. And what was your thinking as you decided to kind of keep going in your academic path? So you did your undergrad, and like, do you, like, as you, once you started, you're like, oh, I'm just going to go keep going, PhD. You already said, oh, I'm, I'm going to do an MD, so I'm going to be in school for 25 years anyway, right. so five yeah. years PhD doesn't sound bad, right? <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's really interesting. Uh, when I was finishing my my bachelor's, I was looking for opportunities. And okay, what was the next step? I didn't know about grad school. I, I didn't have that. Again, you, I didn't have a lot of mentorship or, or people in telling me the possible career part power paths. Sorry about that. I knew what to actually look for, and I just went by serendipity. Okay, it looks like I can keep going at the university, I keep studying, and probably get a higher ranking when I go to industry. Or at some point, I start thinking going into academia. Okay, I like this, I, I'm really good at teaching, I might be a good professor. And that was in the, like, I was in my third year uh, of bachelor, and I decided to, to study a secondary career in education, chem chemical education. And, and then that became part of the equation. So I was like, okay, in order to be a professor, I need to have my PhD. And that's how I went for the PhD. So it was kind of the entanglement of staying in the academia that got me. And from there, of course, to finish your PhD, you need to do your postdoc in order to, to go to academia. Uh, but yeah, academia is, is a, it's something that always have attracted me, but at the end of the day, uh, it doesn't pay. It's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> and so when the recruiter knocked on your door or kind of gave you a phone call, you were pretty pretty open to the idea of going into industry. You weren't kind of set on um, like, okay, I'm... Yeah, yeah. So I was already applying. I was, yeah, I was applying for faculty positions, uh, but this was the, the opportunity that was just kind of make more sense, the, the, the pay and the hours and everything and the opportunity to grow, uh, it was incredible. So at the beginning, I'm not going to lie, I say, oh, I'm going to give it a try, probably a year and see how it goes. I, like, what is this stuff about? But then I discover additive manufacturing within those three months and I fall for it. It was so, it's so, it is like this black hole, right? That this strong <laughs> gravitational forces that did you go attract you and you keep rotating towards it and, and it just capture everyone and so i mean let's go go to rem and, and what you're doing there so when um you you kind of gave a little bit of intro um when you first talked about your your journey but um talk a little bit more about what the company does and like maybe in a specific like what what sorts of companies 
okay. or what sorts of parts do you typically see? Um, like generally, we can then dive into added manufacturing, but maybe kind of what, how the business start and, and kind of what, what do you do on a daily basis? Yeah, well, uh, REM surface engineering have been in business for almost 60 years doing surface finishing of metal components uh, for improving surface texture for different type of applications. Uh, we have really wide um, amount of customers from different uh type of industry. So think about motorsport, automotive, space, aerospace, basically anyone that have a metal component that's going to have uh, high loads or is going to have metal metal contacts is going to find benefits of the process that was developed here in the early air 80s and 90s. So it's called the chemical accelerated vibratory finishing. We coined it as, as isotropic super finishing. So it's to achieve these really nice smooth surfaces that is going to have optimal performance when they when they come in contact with each other, especially the interaction that they have with lubricants. So that was basically what they were doing here. But but then I came and, and I realized this huge need in the additive world. And honestly, it was a high a low hanging fruit. There is somebody in the industry needs surface finishing is additive manufacturing. All the parts that we were seeing coming out of the printers were extremely rough and it was hampering a lot the applicability of those components. So I remember at the beginning we were start doing a lot of fatigue specimens over and over again. And it was this void of, of possible technologies that you can apply to this type of components that actually are going to improve that fatigue performance. And remember, we got engaged when it was a car ram that was like back back in this prayer with Northrop Grumman. They were doing these Type 64 EBM specimens. And man, they, they were like one of the nicer specimens that I have seen in my life coming out of, uh, of Aridi, but they were still really, really rough. So we were able to finish them, but not to the level of meter finishing that we can achieve right now. It was really in the beginning, right? So we're trying to, okay, what's happening with these specimens? They have a lot of residual powder at the surface. Okay, let's let's target that powder. How we can remove efficiently that powder from all the surfaces at the same time and achieve a uniform surface material removal. All right, there is chemical milling technologies out there okay let's see what uh what they are doing and then i deep dive into the chemical milling it was using nasty stuff like nitric acid with hf and nox cloud i start doing experience with that this is something that i don't like so i use my chemical background okay let's go back to what we need to achieve here we need to get this surface activated remove uniformly material start interacting with the higher peaks versus leaving the lower valleys intact okay there's there's options that we have and i start creating these formulas that are going to be preferentially removing material from the higher peaks and attacking areas that have high surface area right so it's going to be going for the high surface area regions so that start to remove all those macro defects from the surface and from them you you always want to leave the wavy pattern that you have from the layering of the item manufacturing 
well, I, I had the feeling that, okay, what we did, I think, was good enough to improve those fatigue performance because we were able to get rid of all those stress tracers from the surface. It was a hunch. From there, we just throw in, in what we call the burnish cycle. It's like a detergent that we do to, to do the final cleaning and remove any watermark that you left behind. And we send them. Uh, and we didn't hear nothing. Like a year later, the result came back head over heels amazing performance our ra was horrible because the waviness was left behind right and then i got more involved into the standards uh committees in order to to figure out the ways to, to measure the surface texture of it manufacturing because it's kind of complicated to try to to find ways to define the surface into a way that is going to be predicting this fatigue performance. We have been really unsuccessful doing that, but nevertheless, in that experiment that we did with Northrop, there was other technologies that they use that produce neater finishing on the specimens, beautiful specimens, and they perform exactly as the as built. And ours that have a really high roughness at that point outperform everyone else. With the section of machine specimens, outperform everybody else. So th that was the, the tipping point. Okay, I think that we're into something. And, and that's when I, yeah. And and maybe like for for those who may not be specifically involved in material science or additive. So you want to just talk about kind of uh, kind of maybe some of the basics here. Kind of what a fatigue test is and and why is why does it matter what the surface looks like. In, in a fatigue test and, and why are like why would this make make a difference or what was your your hunch there so kind of maybe explain some of your thinking and along yeah, those yeah. lines yeah absolutely F fatigue is something that that i didn't know anything about it before starting in this field but what i saw was all this incoming of these fatigue testing bars into our lab and and it gave me curious so it automatically I have a hunch, okay, this is really important because everybody is testing for this. What is this? It turns out that this is a simple test. There's different ways to do it. Uh, but the easier way to explain it is when you have a paper clip, a metal paper clip, and, and you start bending it over and over again, it get turned hot and also it's gonna break. So it's just like that. It's, it's that forces that you're going to start applying into a material and you keep doing it repeatedly. And at some point, a failure is going to occur. Most likely, those failures are coming from the surface. So if you have any surface defects, it's usually referred as a stress racer. That is going to start creating problems and, and a crack are going to start growing from that point and that's when you have that that crack so, so the problem with additive if you're able yeah. to improve the surface then you can improve exactly the, the, the problem with additive that the surface was so rich that most of these surface defects or, or, or sometimes called notch and micro notches were hidden with the powder and you cannot characterize it or see it at all. So when you start doing the fatigue testing and they were trying to break this, they were breaking really fast. But then when I process the components, most of the time they never break. So 
under the forces and, and the and the parameters that they were using for that testing, those specimens were running forever. So it was it was, it was uh, reaching that uh, endurance limit, which is really interesting, especially for IT manufacturing that everything was breaking so fast. So by improving the surface and removing those stress racers, that was a hunch. Okay, this might be work, but it was it was just a, I think it was a little bit of luck in there. I, I think I took a risk. I should have been pushing for uh, more those specimens and achieve a better surface texture, but I didn't. So it's okay. <laughs> now I can do it now. Now customer because the problem that I have, I know, I've been dealing this. <clears throat> last 10 years customers always come with an ra requirements and the question is why do you want it to achieve that ra it doesn't make sense uh the manufacturing is going to be really difficult to reach that ra that you're looking for and if you're looking to improve surface uh, surface texture for fatigue performance they do not translate i and, and i have so much data showing that and still there is this belief that if you have a low RA, you're going to have amazing performance. And for IT manufacturing, it's not always true. So it's really tricky. Right? So what, do you, what are you measuring then if it's not RA? Or what, what are you looking for that you Excellent did a good question. job? It is uh, as, what, what do we believe at this point, because this is a, still an open question. We don't know. But what we believe and the hunch is, is a synergistic effect between elimination of the micronutches from the surface, uh, achieving a smooth surface, and creating a residual compression stress on the surface. So basically, you need to, to, to create this synergistic effect. And now something else that we're seeing is heaping is really important. Because if you don't, if you need to eliminate internal porosity, if you have internal porosity, then most likely you are not going to be able to see those improvements. So it's, it's, it's really complex. But there is no, 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 in machining, machine specimens, you just measure the surface texture. And because of that specific geometry that the machine lines create, correlate perfect. You have array, different arrays are going to give you different performance. In additive, it doesn't work like that. Uh, it's complex. It's, it's complex. It's a lot of research uh, that needs to be done. It's a lot of research being performed right now. It's, it's a really cool field that is being developed. Uh, yeah, I don't know if we're going to come with an answer in the next 10 years, but it's going to keep me employed at least. <laughs> And what industries is this important to? I, I think is you said kind of north of Grumman, so aerospace. Um, are, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is this like aerospace was medical yeah. and automotive as well. Where where do you see kind of the the biggest need for that sort of measurement and that sort of process? Well, at the beginning was aerospace. Aerospace was the one that that embraced the the technology really fast and tried to implement it. And in order to to pass. The test for for the application for, for this specific type of application, they need that fatigue performance. Now it's getting more complex. They're also looking for corrosion resistant and looking for other type of, of applications like a flowability or, or surface texture for other type of uh, of interaction with matters, for example, like fouling on on the on veins and that kind of, of components. So that was really 
what was pushing the industry back in the days. Now I think the field that is pushing the industry to, to the boundaries and to the limits is going to be the space industry. We're getting all these uh, extremely complicated propulsion system out of additive. And, and not just the powder bed fusion side of the equation, also from direct energy deposition. And they are really pushing the boundaries of the technology. You, you can see a lot of this really complex type of nozzle system with internal channels and cooling mechanisms that are really complex. But also they're going to have a huge need for uh, post processing and, and to have those channel cleans out and powder remediation and support structure removal and that kind of, of stuff. And what's your thought on the, okay, so out of the machine, you can get a very complex geometry. Sometimes it's cheaper. Sometimes it's not. Most of the time it's more expensive. Then you have to do surface finish. Like how, like in aerospace space, okay, like you're spending boatloads of money anyways, but like what, what, how much, how beneficial is added manufacturing if you have to then do all this other stuff to it? All right. I'm, I'm going to side Paul Greater on this one and I'm going <laughs> to add something else to that I add to it. So if you can do it without additive manufacturing, then don't do additive manufacturing, right? It's because it's complicated, it's, it's not easy. And then I'm going to add another layer. If you can get away without surface finishing, don't do surface finishing. There's many components that are going to have different type of applications that are not going to need the surface finishing. Now, the, the, I think the problem resides on, on the design. When you're going to start designing a component and you, you have that component in mind, what's going to be that final application for that component? And what are the requirements for that component? So at that point, you need to start thinking about the surface texture that's going to be needed. So then you need to design, not just for IT manufacturing, that is an, another science, how, how you're going to build this stuff into this box full of power, but also how you're going to do the surface finishing of these components and what needs to be added to a component in order to achieve the surface that you need to be using. And that costs money. And also, if you were looking for the, let's, let's put basic example. You need a component that have, that, that needs to have a surface finish of uh, an RA below one micron, which translates around 40 micro inches. Uh, and you need to have optimal fatigue performance and optimal corrosion performance. And you're going to build it through laser powder bed fusion. So you know already that the surface texture of that component is going to be rough and you're going to be able to achieve it like that. So you need to remove material in order to achieve that polarization. So now you need to start thinking about if this component can be uh, designed adding that extra amount of material that is going to be needed to achieve this polishing. And that's just complicated. There is components that you can do that, absolutely. But there are components that you cannot do that, that, that it doesn't allow for that. The other is that you need 
high fatigue performance. I already talked about the heaping process. So you're going to need to heap this component too. So that is going to be an extra charge that you need to think about. So when you're designing the component, you also need to think, okay, how I can make the best business case for this type of component? So where I can save money compared to the traditional way to do it. So there is stuff coming to play like weight production. That, that's a really big uh, uh, cost reducer right there. We are reducing material. So that probably is going to make it cheaper. And also in use, it's going to make it cheaper in the long run. The other one is part consolidation. So you don't need to assemble multiple components to create this type of artifact or apparatus that you're trying to build. That also is going to be uh, cost benefit. So those are the, the type of stuff that you need to be thinking about when you are designing the component. Let's just make an AM component for the sake of it. It's, it's have to, you have to, to come also with that business case. Uh, because if not, yeah, it's, it can get super expensive. And so switching gears a little bit, um, maybe walk me through kind of a typical day. I mean, you're doing a lot of work in the lab. You see all sorts of different customer parts. You have this insight to all these different companies, what they're doing. But then I see you on the road. We're at conferences and giving presentations together. What What's a typical day in the life uh, like? This is, this is really, really cool job. I always seen all the craziness that all the people are doing out there. The sad part is that I cannot talk about it with no one. But it's super cool because I can see what everybody's trying to do and what are the similarities between ways of thinking and designing this type of component from different companies. But it's with kind of the exact type of component seen from different type of perspectives. So that is super, super cool. So in a typical day, I show up at the office and I start uh, looking into, into these uh, components and trying to figure out how in the world we're going to process this part. <laughs> because they're super complex, right? So then, then you need to think about, okay, how do they print it? How the heat treatment that they apply to this specific type of component is going to affect the process that are going to be performing. Okay, do I need to protect certain region for that component? Do I need to create what do we call a process aid, some type of masking to protect the surfaces? And then it, it starts to evolve from there, which type of machine we're going to be using, which type of media is going to be used, uh, the concentration of the chemistry. Do we have test components to begin with? Let's do a couple of tests before we run the actual part, see how it's going to be evolving with time in the equipment. So all, all that kind of cool stuff. Uh, a lot of DOEs involved, a lot of, uh, of trial and errors uh, in the process. This is for the new kind of stuff. For the old stuff, now it's easy. So if you give me any TIE 6.4, Incon 625, 718, it's, uh, that, that's, that's super Got easy. That's the recipe. <laughs> Yeah, when, the, when you get the C22, the Heinz 282, and uh, the other craziness stuff that are, are being produced, that's, that's when it becomes super challenging. But, but we're working on, on that. A uh, new one that we're doing a lot of stuff is C103. And, and that, that's a great business case right there. C103, when you machine C103, you're wasting a lot of material. So if you 
10 3D prints in Mono 3, the saving is astronomical just by that, right? So this is a perfect case for IT manufacturing right there. Now, the other side of the equation is that I am also a communicator and kind of the academic side of me, stay active. I wanted to, to keep talking about what we're doing and finding ways to get funded, <laughs> to keep doing it. So I write a lot of proposals. I use the SBIR mechanism, a small business initiative for research. And what we always doing is collecting enough data to build business cases for different types of application of the technology and then applying for these grants. And the other side of the equation is communicate what we are doing out there. So I really active presenting at different conferences and symposiums about what we are doing. So there's a lot of traveling involved. And finally, customer interaction. And I really enjoy that. I, I really enjoy talking about this stuff with customers and what we're doing. And okay, what is what is your problem? Let me see. Let me get inside of, of your facility and see what is exactly you're trying to do. And maybe we can help you. Even like thinking, changing the design. I, I love to get involved in the design part. Because at that point, if you design with additive manufacturing, manufacturing Think taking into account also the surface finishing, the outcome is always so much better. And it makes my life so much easier and it's so cheaper for the customer. Sometimes I print this stuff without thinking the surface finishing. And then you just need to spend a lot of money creating a, a masking just to protect certain regions. Sometimes you can design the masking within the component right when you print and then forget about it and you save thousands of dollars and we can process thousands of components at the same time because it's a mass finishing uh, process too right so we can process many many specimens at the same time when you make it like that complicated doing one by one is is come with a price tag yeah. and so speaking of communication you also have a podcast do you want to talk a little bit about that Absolutely. I have a podcast with my wife. This is a little bit outside of the IT manufacturing world. It is uh, a little bit talking about uh, our history and how we make it to the United States and how we become professionals. So it's a bi-weekly uh, interview series uh, in which my wife, when this is, I, I do the Spanish version, my wife do the English version. So I do the Spanish interviews, my wife do the English interview. And in there, she talks with Latinx professional about how they turn their dream into reality, give some tips and tricks that have helped them to achieve their goals and that kind of stuff. So what we're trying is to provide inspiration, support, and actionable knowledge that can help the, all these professionals out there, especially the, the one coming from under so like us. So I, I gave me advice when I was a kid and tell me like, hey, don't, don't do that. Do it this way. It's easier. So I have to go all the time to the most difficult path trying to figure out everything. It would be awesome if somebody had to tell me like, no, you don't need to do that. You can do it like this way. So, oh. so that's basically what we're trying to do. That's awesome. And do you have like, how do you find your guests? What, like, where, where's the inspiration come for from interviewing people? <laughs> so I, I have a lot of friends. <laughs> my, ne my network is, is, is really 
white. Let's put it that way. I'm also a Ford Fellow. Uh, I got the Ford Foundation Fellowship as a postdoc, and then I got access to these amazing individuals out there uh, doing amazing stuff. And then in the additive manufacturing world, uh, I have access to all other set of amazing individuals doing incredible stuff. At the same time, I get access to the customers through other type of, of fields and, and, and that's uh, giving this realm, right? So I interview people from NASA, for example, or the Air Force or, or people working in the medical industry. So that's uh, really inspiring. Try to get the, this younger generation a uh, little bit of inspiration and support. That's awesome. I love it. So just uh, two more questions. Uh, first is, uh, what are you looking forward to in, in 2023? We're kind of three days into the year, I think. <laughs> so what, what's, on, what's on tap for you? I, I really, really want to see more C103 technology getting developed out there. That's, where, that's one specific that I'm really excited about because I think it has the perfect application, especially for IT manufacturing and surface finishing. Uh, I'm also looking forward for, for this new DED type of technology that keep evolving so fast and you're seeing how they're getting better and better in their print technologies and they can achieve this really amazing type of component. And binder jetting. I, I, Really excited about bandage jetting technology. They are also getting so much better in, in their in their print. Uh, so I think it's, it's going to be a lot of uh, great stuff happening in 2023. The technology keeps getting impressively better, really accelerated pace. If you compare what was 10 years ago versus today, it's, it's, it's insane how good they're, they're, this, this stuff is. It's awesome. Awesome. And so last question. Um, I started this late last year, but I'm going to continue it on in 2023. Um, what's a, a book that uh, has been impactful for for you or something you just read or uh, kind of a, a book you read last year that uh, made you think, made you learn something? What do you think? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this is a great book. I read it's, it's kind of a interactive type of book also because it comes with some tests. And again, it's going to the political social sciences because that's my hobby. I, I, other books and that is a book that I write about item manufacturing and surface textures. So those are really good, but but this one is called Uncon Unconscious Bias. And it's a book that helps you realize that everybody have unconscious biases. And that is normal and that is okay. And it doesn't mean that you're racist or, or you have any type of, like that you're a bad person. It just makes you realize that there's these ways of thinking that your brain is pre-wired to be aware and cautious about. And when you learn about those unconscious biases, you can work towards them and then ease them down and be capable of don't let yourself go with those biases. That's a really good book. It's from a professor at Harvard University. I forget her name. Uh, we'll put the, we'll put the links up when when we post it. So all good. We're creating perfect. a three degrees discussions book club book list. <laughs> so, all right. Well, thank you so much for joining the show today. Um, it's a pleasure as always, and I'm sure I'll see see you on the road. 
Absolutely. Have a great one. Thank you.